0: This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Chris Kreitcho, and I don't have anything weird to say this week, so I said that. I'm Steven Caradini, and I'm going to try to sit
1: very still and (laughs) talk very evenly, but animatedly, for the next 30 minutes. Because there have been some fair concerns about my volume jumping all over the place, mostly because I get really excited about this stuff and I'm an animated person. I already can't use my hands because this is a (laughs) podcast. So I kind of waver around and bob and weave a little bit. So, you know, that's a thing. So to those who gave comments to that direction, I am trying and thank you for your comments. We take all comments here on winning slowly even when (laughs) hey your co-host sucks is is, to be uh, fair
0: no one put it that way (laughs)
1: that's that's because they're kind
0: exact description (laughs) was something like uh very very dynamic (laughs) yeah
1: that's just that's just being very nice we all know what they meant
0: we have nice listeners get your co-host to
1: stop being a moron there we go (laughs) so we're gonna do that and uh so of course, when today I sat down to uh, test that to make sure that I'm sitting, staring directly into this microphone, of course, Audacity is being chaotic. And so if my volume fluctuates up and down, it's not me this time. It's the program. And I know that you don't believe
0: that, but it's true. So It really is. His computer hates him.
1: I know. I even got a specialized- Podcasting is hard. I even got a specialized computer for this business, and it's still ridiculous. Anyway, you're not interested in that. You're here to hear us talk about ethics. So here we go. Google Glass. It was the worst.
0: <laughs> that was the episode. Thanks, everybody. Yep.
1: Peace out, <laughs> homies. See you next Our week. Our
0: music for this week was-
1: <laughs> no. No, we're interested in Google Glass because it was an instance where people genuinely and almost totally rejected technology. Now, you may think, but yeah, Google Glass was weird and creepy, and that's why they rejected it. Aha! Correct. Aha! <laughs> You've just espoused an ethics, and you didn't even know it. It's fantastic. <laughs> so that's what we're interested in is this sort of underlying ethic that was sort of – the reason that people rejected Google Glass, one of the reasons, but a pretty big reason, and also the fact that this is not just a one-off case. People make these decisions about technology all the time. They just don't think of them as a concerted ethic.
0: Right. One of the things that's interesting about ethics is that if you're doing them right... Sometimes they rise to the level of concerted attention and discreet evaluation, but a lot of times it's rather that they're so thoroughly embedded in the way that you think about reality, in your world view, in your picture of how everything is working and is supposed to work, that you see Google Glass come out and you just say, "What?" no, that's a terrible idea, and you move on, and you don't really have to give it a lot of conscious consideration. You don't have to do a lot of deep moral probing to figure out whether this is a good idea or not. You just say, that's creepy, no, and move on. And underneath that response, that's creepy, is a whole set of considerations that you and most of the rest of society who think reasonably rightly about Google Glass, have already deeply internalized and moved on from. Namely, things like massive unasked invasion of privacy is bad, and recording people without their consent is bad, and we shouldn't do those things, so maybe strapping a camera and microphone to your face and walking around recording people all the time is bad, Now, what's interesting is that you may think, hey,
1: wait, we're just going through all these privacy convulsions right now, and people are still using Facebook, even though they're knowingly giving away all of their data, potentially to Russian hackers and political (laughs) agents. Well, the difference, I think, is that for Facebook, people are getting some value back, or they perceive that they are getting some value back. For Google Glass, somebody walked into a room with Google Glass, and you're like, great. That's not what I want, and I don't have anything to do with that, and I'm not getting any benefit out of that, and that guy should have those glasses taken off his face. (laughs) Violently, if necessary. Which, by the end of Google Glasses' run, was happening.
0: Yeah. To be clear, we do not endorse the violent removal of Google Glass from anyone's face. We don't. However— it was a we, thing that happened we, though. We would say it is a reasonable if perhaps not a justifiable reaction.
1: Yeah, people did not like it. And then there were signs in San Francisco bars saying no Google Glass and yeah, it got got real weird real quickly. And so that trade-off that people make of what do I get out of this and what do other people force upon me is part of the ethical sort of calculus that people were doing in relation to google glass and this is a fair assessment of how people analyze technology so we've just spent almost 100 episodes analyzing technology so we do it in great detail and at great length <laughs> but a lot of people when they're doing their analysis of technology are thinking about it in very snap judgments and i don't mean snap glasses which was the second coming of google glasses and those also <laughs> sucked uh, But they make these snap judgments where you see something and you sort of viscerally react to it. So... In some ways, this is the same sort of thing that you get when you watch a YouTube video. Like The point of YouTube videos most of the time, or at least sort of kitschy, viral ones, is to make you have a reaction. And you either think that it's funny or grotesque or you're not bothered or it's boring. There's sort of a moment where you say, this is my reaction to this 30-second video or whatever, how long it is. And that's sort of the way that a lot of people engage with the ethics of technology and that's not necessarily a bad way to do so because if you have a fairly cultivated ethic you can make stances pretty quickly that come from a background that means you have a large well or large storehouse of ideas that you draw on immediately and make quick connections that's fine so we're not saying that making snap judgments are bad but When you don't have a deep storehouse of ethical discussions and knowledge and that sort of thing, then you're making these snap judgments off of half-formed ideas, impressions, peer pressure, cultural and societal norms, and other sorts of things. And so you, dear listener, are probably in the former camp because you've been listening to us talk about (laughs) ethics for a long time, and you probably were thinking about ethics even before that because why else would you seek out an ethics podcast? But (laughs) – In many other people, in many other situations, that massive amount of information about ethics and information that you're using to draw opinions about technologies very quickly is not there. And that's why this Google Glass thing is so interesting to us, which is that immediately people made a decision that's fairly in line with a whole lot of ethical knowledge about what we should do with technology. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. There are a couple of things that stand out to me in considering that. And one is that all of us make those kinds of snap judgments. I was reading an article just the other day talking about one of Google's many internal design research projects, which the Google people themselves on being prodded about it said, oh yes, we meant this to be disturbing. Whether we believe them or not is (laughs) a secondary question. But it was a way of treating data that was much more treating you as sort of, if not quite secondary to the data, then nonetheless connected to a data in a way that's very different from our normal notion of it. You as possessor of data that you can get rid of at will. This was trying to make data almost person-like in its existence and passing on between people and so on. And I'll link it in the show notes. The details aren't that important. What caught my attention both now and actually at the time, which is why I recall it, is that I formed a snap judgment immediately. And I was very aware that my response immediately was, no, this sounds like a terrible idea. What is wrong with you people? This doesn't need a bunch of design exploration to recognize that it's a bad idea. That was a snap judgment. I would stand by that judgment. And as I reflected on it afterwards, I was able to trace out some of where that judgment came from. My views on data, as we've already touched on this season, my understanding of the relationship that our data should have to us if we are indeed collecting it, the opposition I have to this sort of reification of data as something outside of me, so and so on and so forth. I, I could do that analysis afterwards. But my first response was a snap judgment that arose out of all of these long-considered, deeply-held views without them needing to rise to that level of conscious consideration. We all do that. The question, then, is the second thing that strikes me, which is where do those deeply-held views come from? Yes. Stephen alluded to this a moment ago. They come from a whole host of places. They come from peer pressure. They come from societal norms. They come from whatever careful consideration you have given to a topic. And so one of the most interesting questions is, if we have some set of values that we want to form our snap judgments, individually, communally, societally, how do we go about forming them? How do we go about making it so that my snap judgment is more correct, as it were, more in line with what I believe to be true and right and good. Right. And that takes us back to this notion of ethics being a kind of applied wisdom, that it's the kind of thing you have to practice. And that's a way that we don't often talk outside of certain virtue ethicist circles. We'll be back to that. Don't you worry. Keep your ears open. We've got an episode coming that I think some of you will find very interesting in that direction. Yeah. But outside of those kinds of circles, we don't often talk about the practice of ethics, the work of training yourself to think and behave in certain ways. We tend instead to just go with the flow because that's much easier, and most of the time it doesn't get us in too much trouble. Right. And so that's what we do, but then that gives rise to what we might call unconsidered rather than considered snap judgments. It gives rise to snap judgments that may or may not be well-grounded in wisdom, in a good ethic. Right. The Google Glass one happened to be grounded in a pretty good ethic because on this front, society has had its head on straight for quite some time. Don't record me, bro. Yeah. Again, the
1: contentious elements of
0: privacy over the
1: past year, year and a half, or five years, depending on how long you've been beating the drum on social media, make this a little more complicated because Google Glass was 2012, 2013, a little Mm -hmm. bit into 2014, and that was five years ago. And now we have Facebook, which is invading our lives and elections and all sorts of things, and we can't or won't step back on that technology the same way that we could have with Google Glass. And there's a question to be had there of did five years change things? Of course they did, but did it change the necessary (laughs) and important things that make you able to step back on technologies? Was it the introduction of Google Glass that allowed us to then shut it down immediately? And so Facebook just had more running time to get to the point where people were fed up with privacy invasions, but then – We're not concerned with privacy invasions at some point. So the fact that this happened five years ago-ish is important. We're not glossing that over. And it does change some of the things that we would sort of extrapolate from Google Glass. So the easy thing to say is that, like, yeah, people don't like it when they are recorded without their consent, (laughs) and that's going to be true forever. Uh, And I would hope that it's true forever, and that would be an easy takeaway for the episode. But I think there's more complexity there in that over the past five years, people have had to consider issues of privacy and ethics a little bit more explicitly, either from hot takes or from news briefs or podcasts or whatever. So I think there's a little bit more nuance or there's overload and people are just like, nothing is private. Everything is fine. I just (laughs) don't care anymore because I've heard people talk about that and I've yeah, advise people who are being a little bit too utopian to think about that as an argument if I don't necessarily believe that myself. So there is some complexity to what time and society can do to an ethic, even one seemingly as obvious as the ethic that shut down Google Glass pretty resoundingly in
0: 2013. Right. And it's also worth note to point back to our episode on data that these kinds of things do play out very differently depending on what the origin of the technology is, who's employing the technology and what the surrounding cultural societal norms are. We talked about mass surveillance in China, which is far more recording with or without your consent than anything that Google glass could ever have hoped to achieve in the most, wild success it ever could have imagined. right? And so those kinds of things are not things we can take for granted. Mm -hmm. They're not things that we can simply assume. It got the backlash it did here probably for a combination of a number of reasons, including, at the simplest level, people's discomfort with being recorded unexpectedly and without their consent. At a yet further level, much of it being because of the, shall we say, inelegance of the execution of what Google wanted to say was an interesting technology idea that they were presenting as a sort of prototype, but also demoed as a product. And I don't know how many of you happened to see this when when it came out, but they demoed it by people jumping out of an airplane to land on the convention center where they were doing their presentation of it. They made a big product-style deal out of this and then didn't appear to have given any consideration to the actual social realities of it. There was nothing slow or gradual about the uptake as there has been for Facebook. Rather, it was big splash, adopt this thing, isn't it cool? One might analogize to other things to do with recording that Google has done in the last month. We'll leave Google Duplex aside for today, though I think it is worth considering some of what we're saying in light of that announcement, which I'll link to a number of articles in the show notes about.
1: I mean, someday we'll talk about Google Duplex, but basically it would make the whole world one giant telemarketer, and that's the worst. (laughs) I, I do agree that Google threw this thing out there in a giant, splashy mode, and... We'll link an article in the show notes that talks a little bit about this. The Google Glass creators in the X Lab were aware that this was going to get pushed harder than they wanted it to. They wanted it to be a prototype to show, like, hey, here's the future of technology. Isn't it neat? And the higher-ups in Google were like, this looks like a product we can sell, and we need to sell something. So let's try and sell it. And so then they kind of were in this midpoint where they didn't ever really fully sell it. There was like this (laughs) prototyping sort of batch of people that were allowed to buy it and things, and it got really weird. So the whole rollout was a mess, and that's not the point of this episode. But I do think it affected how
0: it got adopted and how people responded.
1: Exactly. So I think that going through the details of why the rollout was a mess, not that big of a deal. The fact that the rollout being – sort of a conflicted, weird ball of odd decisions (laughs) made it have even more of an ethical backlash. For instance, uh, we'll link an article by Matt Honan called, iconically, I Glass Hole, where he walked around with the Google Glass for a year and basically felt like... Well, he called it a class divide on your face. So <laughs> So there That's was an excellent lo- description. There was a lot going on in in the rollout and in the perception that people who had this thing were somewhat outside the realm of normal people. So all that to say, as we mentioned in our very first season, context matters a right. lot and right. There's ways that Google probably could have rolled this out that would have been totally innocuous. In fact, Google Glass still exists today, mostly used by manufacturers and other types of people who work in highly specific professional settings where Mm -hmm. they could use heads-up displays on their face. That seems like a really good use of the technology that also isn't super creepy. Right. There are ways that even just contextually rolling this out in a different way could have gotten them a lot more positive press, sales, Mm -hmm. whatever, and maybe not made them have to destroy a whole bunch of Google classes, which I'm assuming (laughs) that they did. Or they could be sitting in a warehouse somewhere. Who knows?
0: And that gets to one of the things we've mentioned already this season and that we're going to return to a number more times, which is the idea of technological momentum. Yeah. Google Glass never got technological momentum because there was this immediate whiplash against it and this immediate snap judgment that this is not good the way it's been positioned. Yeah. And as Stephen just said, there were ways it could have been positioned that would have been good had it been less about data collection and less about random people wearing it on the street and more about, hey, wouldn't it be nice in these specific contexts if you could use this thing that would provide useful, contextually appropriate information? Well, Yeah, actually, that might be nice. Yeah. But because the reaction was what it was when it was, the technological momentum was nil. (laughs) There was none. It never had a chance to become entrenched, as it were. Yeah, And that really matters. Part of the reason that we're having a very different conversation about Facebook today is that, as we noted when we mentioned it a few episodes ago, it has something like a Quarter or or so of the world's population, at least having an account. And in that regard, and having been around for very nearly 15 years now, having been at mass scale for the better part of a decade now, technological momentum has set in. The number of people I've spoken to in the last year who say, I would get off of Facebook because I never use it, but it is the only way I have to get in touch with, and they can list a lot of people, friends they care about, family they care about because they don't have the landline phone number for thus and such a cousin or aunt or uncle or whatever else. There is a sense in which Facebook has become much, if it is not inextricable from our lives, it is much closer to inextricable than Google Glass was because Google Glass came out and everyone said, nope, immediately. Yeah. To use the analogy Stephen and I pointed to in, a, again, a recent episode— that cat started to peek its head out of the bag, and everybody said, no, that's an ugly cat, and they shut the bag. Yeah. The cat never got out. Yeah. Facebook got out and made like 18 more cats. There are, <laughs> There's no way you're getting that cat back in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: one of those cats being Facebook Messenger, which I could leave Facebook forever. That'd be fine. But Facebook Messenger, that would hurt. That would yep. be a significant blow to the way that I communicate, which is reinforcing the point that we're making right i think another element of the technological momentum is that google thought they could capitalize on generalized technological momentum that they right. were like oh yeah everybody loves technology right now let's just throw some more technology at them and <laughs> super technology this stuff and I, yo uh, bro
0: i heard you like some technology so I put some, let me technology, me put some more technology, technology technology on your technology
1: What's up? I love that meme. Uh, So yeah, so they thought that they could just capitalize on the technological momentum by saying, here's some more technology. It does more and better things than it used to. (laughs) And that's not exactly how it worked. Right. It's more difficult to point to the variables and the reasons once you start to trace it out a little bit more for why Google Glass disappeared. Yes, the surface level is it was creepy. But once you start to dig deeper into that, what does creepy mean? How did mm. creepy get formed? What were the contexts around creepiness, the recording, the privacy, the technologies, the all of that? So this jumps back to what we were saying at the beginning of the episode. All of that that we just said does not negate that Google Glass was creepy. <laughs> because it was. <laughs> But all of that that we are tracing out were things that people in 2013 were making a snap judgment on pretty quickly. They were drawing all of that knowledge together and pushing that forward into, okay, no, we're not doing this. And so what we think is particularly valuable about that is when you're confronted with new technologies, which we are all the time, Mm -hmm. even if you're not... uh, listener of this show at a fairly decent clip, you're going to get hit with technologies, be it news articles or your friends or however else you get information, you're going to be hit with new technologies. And making snap judgments on those things is not particularly bad, but cultivating some of the elements that allow you to make those decisions and sort of cataloging those in your own mind, knowing what your background is, ethical stances are will help you to justify some of those stances if someone calls you on them.
0: Right. It lets you do that dance that I did earlier this week, where you make a snap judgment, and then if you stop and wonder why, or someone asks you why, you can actually trace out where that snap judgment came from. It also gives you the resources to evaluate your own snap judgments when they might be wrong. Right. Because our snap judgments are often wrong. They're influenced by everything from whether we've eaten in the last four hours to whether we slept in the last week to what the list goes on. And so being able to interrogate our own snap judgments and say, does this align with my what I actually think, with what I actually believe is good and right? Or did I just make a snap judgment because I'm grumpy because I haven't had a snack yet today? And. Did I make a snap judgment because that's what everyone around me is snap judging, but maybe I, I actually should judge the opposite and try to persuade people around me to the opposite? We can't do that without—and I like Stephen's word—cultivating those habits of mind, uh, cultivating a degree of attentiveness to the things that we encounter, as well as to our own thoughts and our own mental life, and cultivating a thick and rich ethic— not just of, but including of technology. And the work to do that is indeed work. It involves thinking and thinking hard and thinking in community and talking with friends and maybe listening to this podcast, yay! But (laughs) it involves a kind of work that many of us are not often accustomed to doing, and we commend it to you because we think it's worthwhile, and we think that if we want to be better responders culturally, Two phenomena that are not so obviously terrible. Google Glass was obviously terrible and that made it easy to reject. Yeah. Things that are less obviously terrible might be more ultimately deleterious in the end. Facebook right. might end up being worse for us all than Google Glass would have been. Now, I don't think so. I think Google Glass would have been really, really bad had it been on everyone's face. But at a minimum, we can look and say, Facebook could end up being really, really bad in really, really important ways, but because it was never so obviously bad, it was harder to make snap judgments about it at any point along the way. And to make good judgments that are more than snap judgments, to reject certain technologies when they're not obviously creepy, requires us to be doing that kind of mental work of building our system of ethics and training ourselves to respond wisely along the way. And we're going to talk about this more next week when we get into situations
1: where it's creepy to some people, but it's not to others. And those are points where you have to sit down and really evaluate your own opinions and say, I'm willing to say X, and I don't mind if somebody else says that that's wrong. I still think that's right. And the reasoning for it may be that, look, I just think that's right. I think that's wise, (laughs) and I I don't have a whole lot of reasons— other than like that's fine. I'm that's where I'm willing to say that's fine. That's the line. Right? This thing is not okay, this thing is okay because that's where I draw the line. And you don't have to get into the tiny minutia of the weeds to have every single bit of your ethic <laughs> traced out. People like us, Chris and I, we kind of have to. That's what we're sitting here doing right now. <laughs> but the goal of having an ethic and having that applied wisdom that we're talking about is not necessarily so that you can win arguments or that you can show that you're smart or cool. It's that you can live well. It's that you can make decisions in your life that allow you to live in a way that is best flourishing. And if that's getting off Facebook, more power to you. If that's staying on Facebook in a diminished capacity, more power to you. If that's blocking certain people, More power to you. (laughs) All the ways that you think about flourishing and think about your life and think about the ways that we interact, those are the goals of an ethic. Not necessarily to convince other people that they're wrong, but that you can live better.
0: Though, as we'll see next week, sometimes you have to work to convince people that they're wrong, too. So that you can live better. (laughs) (laughs) So that everyone can live better. So that everyone can live
1: better, but particularly so that you, you know, if you don't want to have... I'll give it away if you don't want to have become nuclear irradiated. Sometimes you have to convince people that they shouldn't use nuclear power, but that's what next we're going to talk about next Slowly. week on Winning Slowly. So, the music at the beginning of the show was Leaf Road by Black Knight. We used it with permission. Please don't
0: use it without permission. Thanks as always to everyone who sponsors the show, including at the tier where we say their names on air, Andrew Fallows and Kurt Klassen. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash winning slowly or cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. Love that dollar sign. That's
1: right. You can follow us on Twitter at winning slowly at Chris Kreitcho at Scaradini, email us at hello at winningslowly.org. And if you flag us down on the street, we'll probably talk to you about this stuff too. True story. As always, thanks for listening.
0: Thanks as always to everyone who sponsors the show. This dollar's. This dollar's money mumbles? This bada boodooba double. And... <laughs>
1: I don't even know what you were trying to say. <laughs>